You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. This is Southern Fried Sports with Bama Online Senior Analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. The show, as always, brought to you by Peterbrook Chocolatier out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. Get by there and check out all the outstanding treats. It is a hot one once again today. Never a better time to get by there, get you a little, get you a big cup. Get you a big cup of that uh that gelato, that outstanding Italian ice cream, variety of flavors from which to choose. You got the caramel coated apples that are going to be dipped in your favorite chocolate, whether it's white, dark milk, you name it, just among the many, many items, many, many goodies you can treat yourself or someone else or both to at Peterbrook Chocolatier. Joined on the program by executive producer Joe Gaither, who together we combine to form the 60 minute Boo! Of Sports Talk Radio. Joe, how you doing this morning? Oh, having a great day. Good Thursday. No bad news today yet, yet, yet. <laughs> so we're doing good. How about you, sir? It's only 11.02, Joe. Hang in there. My exactly. Friend. Buckle up. I know you have been, by the way. I know Joe Gaither. He, he stays ready. He doesn't have to get ready because he stays ready. You know, that's, uh, that's Joe Gaither. Does an outstanding job for us. And you're right, though. We sit here and come on to the program, and I've got my – Show notes. Believe it or not, folks, there is a level of preparation that goes into this program. I know it doesn't always sound like it, but I do come up with show notes on a daily basis, and it seems like more and more in the last few months that those have pretty much gone up in smoke about three minutes into the program. So we'll work off what we've got until it is no longer relevant, which in this new cycle, again, seems like about every 15 minutes it changes. Uh, just this morning, as a matter of fact, you've got some issues coming out of Tallahassee, Florida, where you had already had sort of a seminal uprising, I guess you could say, back in, gosh, what was that, in the spring, on the heels of the uh, George Floyd killing up in the Minneapolis area. First-year head coach, rookie head coach, too, and Mike Norvell dealing with all this. I mean, let's be fair to some of these first-year coaches in some ways. Uh, never in the history of sports, let alone college football, have folks walked into situations as first-year coaches. Now, with Norvell, you wonder how much of it has been self-inflicted to this point. He made the statement uh, back in the wake of the Floyd killing that he had personally spoken to every member of the roster there at Florida State. He was called out on social media by one of his star players and one of his team leaders and Marvin Wilson, the defensive lineman, uh, that seemed to be smoothed over in time. And now you're hearing today that there are complaints from within the program, within the roster, about how the COVID-19 virus is being handled in terms of testing, tracing, just the general health and care of the Seminole football players. Now, here in the last hour, Norvell did have a regularly scheduled news conference for this morning at 10 a.m. Central, 
And he said he feels very good, very confident about the manner in which things are being handled on that front. So, again, you know, the, the, the concern that a lot of these players are going to have are legit and not saying this one isn't either. It's just trying to find the truth in the matter between everything that is involved, especially when you are transitioning to a new head coach. Just throw so much more into that pot that you have to try to deal with. 205-342-9904. That is the Peterbrook Chocolate Your Studio Line. If you'd like to jump on board with us this morning, you are more than welcome to do so. And in speaking about that Florida State situation, I don't know what the ACC protocol is or even the protocol is there at Florida State. Um, but what you saw last week when the SEC uh, came out with its list uh, for its protocol for fall sports, what you saw was a third party would be involved in the testing and tracing process. And that's really what the NFL has had to do. We talked about that yesterday on the program. The NFL has enlisted a third party at the tune of $75 million to cover, uh, to help with its testing and tracing. And I'm sure that's something the NFL Players Association certainly demanded because, you know, this is one of the concerns you have at some places, potentially. Not saying it's the case at Florida State. Um, but when you look at what can be lost here, and everything that is on the line, uh, you do have a concern that transparency, integrity, you know, in some instances, might go by the wayside. And so this is what is being brought to light right now as much as anything in Tallahassee is the protocol. What is the procedure at Florida State at within the ACC? Something to keep an eye on moving forward. Um other things we'll talk about today on the program, Chris Hummer, the National College Football Writer for 247sports.com. He is going to join us coming up in about oh, 10 to 15 minutes. Chris with an interesting piece yesterday at 247sports.com in the wake of the Big Ten and the Pac-12 uh, opting out of football for the upcoming months here in the fall, uh, Chris opined uh, about what a potential bubble for college football could have done uh, for this stretch of three or four months that's in front of us now. And Chris, he makes this clear in the piece as well. He, he does a great job of laying out how he would envision it working. And, and as he notes, though, the biggest problem is you, you were never going to have a bubble for college football because if you do that, you're stating that essentially – these players are employees. You know, they're not on campuses. They're not in classrooms. You're not maintaining that veil of amateurism, which a lot of us have laughed at for quite some time. Okay. We get that. But if you do go to a bubble, then you're, you're tearing down that whole house of cards there completely. You're, uh, you're admitting on the stand what everybody else is pretty much known to be the case to at least an extent. You're, you're admitting it now. You know, the NCAA has been the, really the last entity at this point to at least semi admit that, okay, you know, these folks are on some level, they're employees, essentially. Yes, they get scholarships. We understand that. But when you do the math on the revenues and everything else, it, it doesn't necessarily add up. But what I'm going to ask Chris about is, in a time of name, image, and likeness compensation, like we're about to have implemented, what if they had gone ahead and got NIL incorporated into collegiate athletics? What if Trevor Lawrence already had a deal with Toyota, right? What if Justin Fields already had a deal with, let's say, McDonald's, Gatorade, you know, what if these guys were allowed to already financially benefit from their name, image, and likeness? Now, where it gets interesting with that is, well, to what extent would they have been able to do it anyway? Because the NCAA and its member institutions, of course, they want to regulate the amount of income that these student athletes are going to be able to rake in. 
And of course they do. If the athletes are making all the money, what are the schools themselves going to make off corporate sales and things like that? So absolutely they want that ability to regulate. And kind of as a side note to that, just this morning, or actually yesterday, I guess it was, there was a court decision that the NCAA presented saying that without basically regulation of these name, image, and likeness deals and the ability of student-athletes to be paid vast sums of money as what would be regarded as educational expenses, the Supreme Court yesterday denied the NCAA trying to have that slowed down at least. So that's interesting to keep an eye on moving forward because then, you know, what it still could become, and this is where it could get really crazy, because just of what we've seen and how the decision was made to play or not to play in Power 5 leagues here in the last week or so, well, name, image, and likeness regulations could come down to conferences determining individually what is a, what is allowed, what isn't allowed. So think about that for a second, because we haven't seen these leagues really in uniform in, in just about anything, including just here in the last few days with the play or, or postponed decisions. Think about a scenario where the SEC says up to this much or these type of deals are okay, but the Big Ten says something else. You talk about competitive balance being a problem. That may be the one thing that forces them to work together because that could be a complete you-know-what show if it's left to these conferences individually to determine what's okay, how much is okay, what kind of deals are okay once name, image, and likeness goes into effect. 205-342-9904 is the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio line. Um, got a ton of golf involving Alabama folks, UA folks, uh, on cable television today. You've got the U.S. Amateur out there at Bandon Dunes on the coast of Oregon. If you watched any of that coverage last night on the Golf Channel, just absolutely amazing vistas out there on the Pacific coast at Bandon Dunes. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Uh, Wilson Fuhrer. Wilson Fur of the Alabama men's golf program is on the course right now in the round of 32. Wilson, a six and four winner yesterday evening in his first round match. He's going up against Harrison Ott of Vanderbilt. So you got Alabama Vandy in this round of 32. And Fur just uh, birdied 10 and is now one down to Harrison Ott. Uh, Ott took a two-up lead at the par four fourth and has maintained that until the 10th hole just now as for birdies to get that match to Harrison Ott one up. You also had here locally, not sure if you saw this last night, um, William Walker of Northridge High School. Stand up, Jags. That's right. Northridge High School with some representation at the U.S. Amateur last night in the first round of match play. Unfortunately for William, he came up a little bit short in his round of 64 match, but a hell of an accomplishment just to make it to match play at a U.S. Amateur. And that's what uh, William Walker III did, former Northridge Jag, UAB Blazer. So kudos to our guy out there in Northeast Tuscaloosa in William Walker. Elsewhere in golf, you do have – the Wyndham Championship on the PGA Tua. It was uh, it was a roller coaster round on Thursday morning for UA alum Robbie Shelton. Robbie Shelton threw his first five holes this morning. He was out there early, tee time at six a.m. Central in Greensboro, North Carolina. Robbie Shelton was he was uh, three under through five. He had made four birdies in his first five holes. Then he had a stretch of five, six, seven, eight, eight holes that he played in four over 
And then he birdies the par 3 16th to get that thing back to even, and that's what he shoots for his opening round there on the PGA Tour. It's an even par 70 this morning for Robbie Shelton. Bud Cauley moving around the golf course at Sedgwood Country Club quite nicely in North Carolina. Through 13 holes, Bud Cauley right now, minus four on the round. So could Cauley, maybe Shelton bounces back. You've also got Davis Riley, Lee Hodges, two of the top three players on the Corn Ferry Tour right now, getting set to compete in the Boise Open starting later today. Both those guys set to move on to the PGA Tour for the next season. So you've got a stretch here in the last four weekends where between the Corn Ferry and PGA Tours, former University of Alabama men's golf team performers have won tournaments. Trying to make it five straight weeks between the Corn Ferry and the PGA Tour. Pretty good, huh? Those guys are good, as they say, in professional golf. You have the Atlanta Braves hitting the one-third mark of this 60-game season at 11-9 and now, following last night's 6-3 to loss to the New York Yankees. Off day for the Braves. Boy, their bullpen definitely needs it, huh? Off day for the Braves today. Head to Miami for a weekend series against the first-place Marlins. As we talked about yesterday, though, Marlins have played just 12 games because of the outbreak they were a part of, or home to, really, after the first weekend of the season. Braves are at 11-9, and so eight more games the Braves have played to this point. That game last night with the Braves and the Yankees, you had both teams combining to leave 45 runners on base. 21 for the Braves. Wasn't a lot of two-out RBI or hits with runners in scoring position in the Bronx last night. And now you learn Ronald Acuna is going to miss the upcoming series with the Marlins with a bum wrist. Ozzie Albies has been out. So you're rolling with Dansby Swanson and Travis Darno at the top of the lineup for the time being. Three hits for Dansby last night, though, in the loss. And we talk about the injuries to Acuna and Albies and some inconsistency at time at the plate, but it's still the pitching, right? Wow. I mean, other than Max Freed, you're talking about Johnny Holstaff. You look at a Braves box score that Max Freed isn't a part of, it looks like a midweek college baseball game Maybe in the uh, in the Southern Conference or something, you know, the SWAC, something like that. And it is Johnny Holstaff. And again, the Braves, as much as anything else, they need to day off for that bullpen. I guess if there's a silver lining, it's that we're not talking about a 162-game schedule because at this rate, the Braves' bullpen would be done by the All-Star game. I don't think there's any doubt about that. We're going to step to our first break. We come back. Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer. For 247sports.com, he'll join the program when Southern Fried Sports returns right after this. Cloudy at times with scattered to numerous showers and thunderstorms across West Alabama this afternoon and tonight. The high today, 90. Tonight's low, 72. Tomorrow, a mostly cloudy day with a good chance of showers and thunderstorms. The high at 87. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com or download the free Tide 100.9 app. Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryder, senior analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 
11 a.m. until noon. A reminder that if you are in the need or you're in the market for residential and or commercial cleaning, Chase's is the call for you. Yashika Barnes, CEO, driving force there at Chase's Residential and Commercial Cleaning. Dependable, thorough, out of this world, the service you're going to get from Chase's Residential and Commercial Cleaning. 205-886-3616. Yashika and her crew, over 20 years of quality cleaning service. So make the call right now to Chase's Residential and Commercial Cleaning. We're going to make the move to talk to our good friend Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 24-7 Sports. Dot com And I'll tell you what, Chris, we talked about this at the outset of the program. We come onto the air, and it's just an hour show, Southern Fried Sports. And we have our show notes. We have sort of a, a, a running list of what we're going to get to. But it's almost become an exercise in futility because about every 10 minutes, we get something in the world of college football, and I guess it's Florida State. Boy, if you're Mike Norvell, you've been trending on Twitter a couple times here in the last five or six months for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, really, really awkward start to Mike Norvell's tenure for sure. I think he would probably like nothing more than a football game to be played at this point. But obviously, um, he's been called out um, by one of his players, Warren Thompson, about kind of the health and safety protocols um, on the Florida State campus in terms of returning to football. Um, I believe he said something to the effect of he does not feel like he's been encouraged to speak out. Um, he's been ridiculed about speaking up in regards to this issue, some pretty serious allegations. Um, a couple Florida State players have spoken up, as we see often in situations like this, kind of uh, with a conflicting report. But either way, certainly a really troubling thing for Mike Norvell, who's already dealt with a lot of backlash for some half-truths he had earlier this year when Marvin Wilson, one of his star players, called him out there. So, yeah, it's really, really interesting times in college football, for sure. Yeah, it's and it's a right now because I, I see where players have been made available I guess earlier today and they've gone on record and saying they think the conditions and the protocols and the adherence to them has been fantastic but then you see family members of maybe players even on social media uh, making allegations in regards to what's going on so uh, an absolute mess and as you pointed out yesterday Chris all of this right could have been avoided if we simply had had the forethought, maybe at the NCAA level, to try to institute a bubble format, which, for reasons you point out and we've talked about, uh, would have required the NCAA essentially going on the stand and probably admitting to some things they'd rather not. Yeah, um, I think all of this could have been avoided if we had a bubble environment or something to that effect, a way to kind of isolate players for a short period of time, two or three months and play a football season. But that would have required the NCAA and its member institutions admitting kind of a fact that has been pretty well established for a while that athletic players, especially football players are basically university employees. Um, I know some people will push back against this idea, but, and they are compensated through a grant and aid scholarship, which in a lot of cases can be three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars across their career. That's not nothing. But in order for a season to be played safely this year in a bubble environment, it would have required the NCAA to come out and admit that these um, athletes are employees. They could have then asked them to sign COVID waivers, worked out some sort form of compensation to get them within a bubble. And then you could have kind of perceived it as normal because I would point out with a lot of campuses going to a hybrid learning environment or an all online learning environment, it wouldn't have been that different for a college football athlete to hold up in Nashville for three months and do online classes with his teammates as it would be for them to be on campus in Tuscaloosa. So from that perspective, it is, it is kind of sad to see this season kind of spiraling when there were options to kind of change it. But it just comes down to the system that the NCAA has um, perpetrated for years. And I don't expect the NCAA to back down much on that, just like its member institutions won't either, because they make a lot of money off of it. And I know that sounds cynical, but uh, 
been kind of some cynical times recently. Chris, let me ask you this. If we already had name, image, and likeness compensation in place, would it have been more realistic to consider a bubble format? I think so. And that's actually, that's something yeah. I've asked an athletic director to um, over the last couple of months. And they kind of agreed if athletes were in a position to where at least they could make money off of this season, even if it's just through endorsements and using their NIL, it wouldn't look nearly as bad from a public relations standpoint to ask them to do something like a bubble environment. So I, I certainly think that's a great point, and obviously the NCAA is pushing towards that now. Um, they certainly didn't get there on their own. They were forced to by states like California and Florida. But had this happened in 2021, who knows how this could have gone because we could have had those um, rules in the books. But uh, the NCAA is a slow-moving beast, and therefore we're kind of in the situation we're in where um, they are one year away from maybe a potential solution to this issue, but there's no chance of kind of speeding up that process to get there. I sort of joked around about it a month or so ago about, hey, just have a bubble in Dallas. And, well, now you're not going to have Ohio State. But you know, just put Alabama, Clemson, um, Big 12 still around so you could go with OU. And then a fourth team, if you go LSU, Notre Dame, someone like that, Georgia, uh, just have them play round robins over three months, weekends in and, and Dallas and it's kind of half joking, but in, in reading what your thoughts were on, I guess, a conference level bubble, um, it, it, it would be doable logistically, I think, because as you pointed to a city like Dallas, you've got multiple facilities that would work for the, for the 10 teams. Uh, you got Jerry World, you still got the Cotton Bowl, you've got SMU, you've got TCU in that area. Uh, I think you pointed to Nashville and, and talking with some folks in college football. Potentially, maybe for the ACC, you've got Vanderbilt, you've got obviously the Titans facility. So, from that standpoint, it, it would have been manageable, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, all you need to do is find a large hotel or um, kind of resort to put the players in for a three month period. Obviously, it's not cheap, but like there's still TV contracts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just put them up. Um, maybe. <laughs> Give every team a couple floors. Uh, you could separate them into multiple hotels. Um, I think it would be more ideal to have everybody in the same location to restrict kind of um, compromising the bubble. But I think it would have been very possible. It wouldn't have been easy. I think I read that the NBA spent like $15 million to put up their bubble in Orlando, and it would have been more expensive for college football to kind of get it done. But if it meant saving a season, like I think it's really realistic. And you could have done it within like a three or four month period at most. If you shorten the season a little bit, let's say like eight to 10 games and have like a two or three week runway for kind of practices and stuff, you could have been in and out within a three month period. And that's essentially a semester for college athletics, probably even a little bit less in most cases. So I I really do. Go ahead. I'm sorry, sorry, Chris. No, I was just going to say, I really do think it was feasible, but, um, just not possible under the current system, unfortunately. Yeah, again, if you essentially admit that the players are university employees, you open the door to that dreaded U-word that apparently Dabo Sweeney isn't a big fan of. Dabo Sweeney, not a big fan of the U-word, Chris. And, of course, I'm talking about unionization. Yeah, and um, I think we are we might be pushing that way. I spoke to... Um, a player from Stanford, Dylan Bowles, who was a part of kind of that conversation that led to the We Are United, We Are United, and then We Want to Play campaigns. He was one of the three people on the phone with Trevor Lawrence initially that kind of got that started um, on Sunday night. And when he was on that call with guys like Justin Fields and Panay Sewell and Kayvon Thibodeau and quite a few other stars in college football, one of the discussions was a players association and association doesn't come with the same kind of, um, kind of uh, dread in a lot of administrators words is that word union. But I spoke to him for a story a couple of days ago and he did stress that unionization would be a consideration on the table. If progress isn't made in terms of athletes having their voices heard and some issues like this and whether a union could work is um, very up for debate. Um, obviously, Northwestern's attempt in 2014 did not push through all the way. 
although the Chicago Labor Relations Board up there, their National Labor Relations Board, um, said Northwestern students were employees. And it's a really complicated thing. But essentially, there is a chance um, that unionization could work this time if student-athletes take a different tack talking to legal experts. And that's something that really scares the crap out of people like Dabo Sweeney. And more importantly, administrators across college football, because once college athletes get a permanent seat at the table, especially during a time when so much is changing here, it completely changes the power dynamic in college sports. And um, I think it'll be a really compelling thing to follow here over the next year or two, because there's just there's so much brewing in college athletics. And I think we're certainly seeing only the beginning of a movement for college um, athletes, not the um, end of one. Did, did who got it right? Uh, did, did the, the big 10 and the PAC 12 get it right? And going ahead and saying, nah, it's a, it's a wrap and we'll push back and hopefully do something in the spring. Or, are you, do you think the approach by the sec, the, the big 12, the ACC to initially like the sec did anyway, push the season to September the 26th, uh, which, which route do you do you think was was best here in the last couple of days? I honestly, I, I don't think anybody really knows. I think one route was very cautious, and one route was a little more optimistic. I think we'll find out um, in late September and early October um, if we even get to that point. If the season kind of works, and there are limited complications, obviously. Uh, the, or the Big 12, SEC, and ACC stand to benefit in a really significant way. But um, I think the PR hit for some of these other schools that they forge forward into a disaster is going to be pretty significant um, in terms of player risk. Um, so the Big 10 and the Pac-12 still might come out ahead. Um, just my personal opinion, as of right now, I agree with the approach of the three conferences that have yet to cancel. Um, I think if you're going to have students on campus practicing like the Big Ten did and like the Pac-12 did in some cases, I don't really particularly understand the difference uh, between them being there and practicing and working out together and then looking to play a season. Now, if you had additional spikes move forward and you find out in a month that the testing kind of testing capacity and the testing times are not going to allow you to push forward and if you have significant heart risk associated with it after kind of further examination leading into the season, then you back off. But I think with a month and a half to play and a lot of a month and a half until the season starts in a lot of cases, there was no reason to cancel quite this early, especially in a time when you released your schedule five days prior. I still haven't gotten a really clear answer as to what changed over that five day period. And I think, I think the other leagues are showing, showing a certain amount of caution, but are also kind of taking the best tack, which is trying to play and then pulling back if you have to. I think the other two leagues, especially the Power Five leagues, pulled back preemptively because they were scared of liability risk and such, which is totally fair. But I just think there was a little bit more time to kind of examine your options before you went with the nuclear option of canceling the fall season. It almost felt like, Chris, and tell me what you think, it felt like the Big Ten and Pac-12 were already pretty much there. And then when this hot button topic of myocarditis, the inflammation of the heart muscle became kind of a, whether it was something that was new in athletic circles or college football circles, or it was something that maybe the leagues that were already leaning towards pulling the plug floated out there to sort of justify what they were going to do. Um, It it seems it's, it's, probably too simplistic it seems like uh you just got two different camps in in terms of not only myocarditis but how other unforeseen or issues related to COVID-19 byproducts of COVID-19 might be able to be handled as we move forward here yeah and that's that's another thing that I find really confusing and I still haven't gotten a great answer for either like everybody is looking at the same data for the most part. Everybody is consulting with the same infectious disease and heart experts nationally, people at like the Mayo Clinic and stuff. Like the data they're examining and the people they're speaking to aren't all that different. And for essentially four leagues to say no thank you and no moss and just like step away from the risk and six other leagues kind of push forward with it, just seems very odd. And 
I think, I, I mean, I don't want to make this a political thing, but if you look at the map, it just kind of comes down to where you reside. I think I saw a stat earlier on Twitter that nobody west of Texas is playing football this year, and only six teams north of the Mason-Dixon line are still playing college football in the FBS. Everybody else is concentrated in the southeast. And I think that kind of just speaks to the environment a little bit. Um, certainly, uh, some places like California and Washington being significant hotspots for the virus has played into this process, and testing times are really backed up in a lot of those places. But at the same time, it's not really that different in Texas. Um, a couple of weeks ago, my girlfriend had to wait for 16 days to get her test back, and Jeez. those results, those are it's still not like better here. People are waiting seven to 10 days in a lot of cases still. So it, at the end of the day, like you kind of just have to look at, in my opinion right now, it just kind of looks like a separation between red and blue in a lot of ways more than anything. But, um, we'll, we'll see how it plays out certainly, but it's just right now. That's kind of what it looks like to me. Yeah. And you know, look for me, it's not so much that the big 10 and the PAC 12 said we're out, you know, I, I get it. You know, I, I, I very much believe there's there's legitimate concern. I mean, this is a major health issue. Uh, it's a public health issue, uh, global, that we're dealing with here. So, uh, but it, it, the the contradictions just seem to be endless, even with those leaks. You know, they're they're not going to play football in the upcoming months, but they're going to keep the twenty hour rule in effect. And I understand, you know, you're eliminating travel and logistics that could, you know, give you a problem where positive tests and infection are concerned. Um, and also, you know, th- th- they're also allowing freshman students back on campus to live in dorms, you know, that maybe show up with a clear test within a week of their check-in of those dorms. It, it's just the contradictions that, that are seemingly endless that, that get me, Chris. I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a really tough thing to kind of balance and to consider. And we hear these universities talk about bubble-like environment on their kind of athletic programs, which is which is great, and it's true in a lot of cases. Like, I firmly believe a lot of these players, like, in the summer are safest in their athletic facilities. Absolutely, yeah. No, no question in my mind, but the calculus certainly changes again, as you said, when freshmen move into the dorms and they're going to in-person classes with 30 to 40 other people who don't have the same restrictions as them and who are potentially still going out on Friday and Saturday night. Um, and those people are going to intermingle at the end of the day, like it's going to happen. So it's, it is, it is really kind of, it's, there's no easy answer here. It's difficult to kind of weigh, it's difficult to kind of contend with. And we don't really know how the student population and the student athletes are going to kind of mix at the end of the day. And yeah. I think it's fair to wait for that, but I also would never blame a conference for not wanting to risk that from starting and kind of going sideways immediately. Yeah, I hear you. Hey, Chris, as always, great stuff at 247sports.com, and we always appreciate you joining us here on Southern Fried Sports. Thanks, Chris. Yep, of course. Thanks so much. There he goes, Chris Hummer, national college football writer for 247sports.com. If you haven't already, give Chris a follow on Twitter, at Chris underscore Hummer, H-U-M-M-E-R. And... Speaking of player safety, right, Big Ten, we keep seeing these plans from the Big Ten, how they're going to do this spring season. And uh, you've seen Jeff Brom, the head coach at uh, Purdue, I think, today, floated on Twitter. Well, it looked to be a pretty cool plan. But at the end of the day, you're talking about playing upwards of 20 to 22 games in a 10-month span. So exactly what is your stance on player safety, if that's what you're talking about doing? Let's head to a break. Come back with more Southern Fried Sports presented by Peterbrook Chocolates here, right here on Tide 100.9 FM. Right after this, you're listening to Southern Fried Sports with BamaOnline.com senior analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Back with more of a Thursday edition of 
Southern Pride Sports right here on side 100.9 FM. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. Thanks again to Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer. For 247sports.com, Chris running his bubble idea, or what would have been a bubble for the 2020 college football season. Too many technicalities involved to make that happen. But it is interesting to consider how the approach to the game might change once we get into the name, image, and likeness era of collegiate athletics. Could have used it maybe this time around. Maybe we're a little late with NIL. 205-342-9904. That's the number to call if you'd like to jump on board in the remaining time we have with you. We'd love to hear from you out there on the Pacific coast of Oregon. How about Wilson Fur making a run here on the back nine? Wilson Fur of the Alabama men's golf team participating in the 120th playing of the men's U.S. Amateur. 120! Boy, you talk about some streaks in college football that are going by the boards, like Ohio State's. Last time Ohio State didn't play college football in the fall, it was like in the 1800s, I think. So you got to go back, uh, well, you got to go back to uh, 1900 for the start of the U.S. Amateur. And Wilson Furr has won three of the last four holes in his match against Harrison Ott. Furr was two down going to the back nine. He has won 10, 12, and 13. And Wilson Furr, after a birdie at the par 5 13th, is one up in that match with Harrison Ott. So there you go little real-time U.S. amateur update involving Alabama golf. You're seeing the NFL camps really get going now, right? Hearing and seeing some positive things in relation to some University of Alabama products. Heard Doug Marone watch that news conference this morning. Our Jacksonville Jaguars, of course. Doug Marone, the head coach. And he was asked about Cam Robinson. You know, Cam is had some injuries, he's had some ineffective play. Mostly it's been about the knee injury from a couple of years ago. But Cam, the former Outland Trophy award winner here at UA, uh, going into a contract year for Cam, and it sounds like he is now a couple of years removed from that knee injury. And the expectation right now is for Cam Robinson to have a big year at the left tackle position for the Jacksonville Jaguars, which would be great for him, me, the rest of the Jag fans, but certainly more so Cam Robinson as he looks to capitalize on that second contract, man. You always hear players, right? People, agents talk about that second deal because there's certainly no guarantee. There isn't a guarantee of a second deal for a lot of these guys. But when you start trying to get to that third deal in the National Football League, you might get to a third deal in the NFL, but it might be a one-year veterans minimum type situation you know it's not a financial windfall typically when you get to that third contract so cam trying to make it happen in this contract year and so far the signs are very positive that uh he and the rest of that jaguar offensive line are going to take a big step up they need to they need to need to help out gardner Minshew this season leonard Fournette talking about a guy who could use a big year at the running back position behind that offensive line, the former LSU standout. So there you go, some NFL training camp talk. Tua, a part of that as well. You saw some video maybe yesterday or last night of Tua throwing it around and shorts and helmets down there in South Florida with the Miami Dolphins. Look good throwing it. Moving around pretty good. We'll see. No real hurry with Tua this year. You've got Ryan Fitzpatrick. You've got a veteran offensive coordinator down there in Chan Gailey. You know, Chan's at a point in his career, he's not going to be in a rush to get anybody on the field. You know? So, uh, that's a pretty good mix right there, if you're Tua. Having a guy like Fitzpatrick, who by all accounts just seems like a good dude, willing to help in the development of a young player, 
like Tua Tonga Vailoa. Chan Gailey's been around since the leather helmet era, so he's seen it all. Uh, he can kind of anticipate what's going to come at Tua and you know not give in to that temptation unless it comes from the owner's box. You know, sometimes that that directive comes from that owner's box, and it doesn't matter if you've been coaching in the league for seventy six years. The rookie's going to play, and it and it wouldn't surprise me still if Tua ends up being the guy at some point during the upcoming season. But initially, at least, there won't be a rush to get him out there. And you've also got some issues on that offensive line. You, know, you drafted a rookie left tackle. Could be a good one out of USC, but I don't want to kick the tires on that guy with Fitzpatrick out there and uh, protecting Fitzmagic's blindside before I roll my fifth overall pick out there to work behind a rookie left tackle. Going to step aside to our final break. When we come back, we'll put a wrap on a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. Play dancing rap. Cloudy at times with scattered to numerous showers and thunderstorms across West Alabama this afternoon and tonight. The high today 90, tonight's low 72. Tomorrow, a mostly cloudy day with a good chance of showers and thunderstorms. The high at 87. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. The flagship station for Alabama Crimson Tide football. Alabama touchdown. Only on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Some Thursdays when I need some uh, David Lee Roth era Van Halen, need some juice, right? And so that's why you got the original lineup of Van Halen for your playlist theme of the day on this Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports, which is brought to you in part by Houston Hydrostein Carpet, Upholstery, Tile, and Grout Cleaning. Houston Hydrostein, home of the Houston Rug Revival. Jackie, his entire staff, great, great folks, locally owned, locally operated, 205-553-9460. I talk so much about dependability with people like Chase's residential and commercial cleaning and Houston Hydrostein, and it's because it's a real thing. There's nothing worse than not being able to count on people you need when you need them. And you can do that with Houston Hydrostein. 205-553-9460. Wanted to get into some of that mock draft talk yesterday that we saw from our guy Todd McShay of ESPN. We touched on it a little bit with Cecil on the show yesterday. But in that uh, way too early mock from Todd McShay on Wednesday, you saw Patrick Sertan. Not just as a first-rounder, according to Todd McShay, for the 2021 draft, but the number two overall pick to Trevor Lawrence. How about that? McShay had four Alabama players in his first-round mock. He had Sertan, number two overall. Then he had Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell sort of in that same spot in the first round where you saw Henry Ruggs III and um, Jerry Judy back in April. And then rounding out the four first-rounders, according to Todd McShay, you had Dylan Moses there around the 26th pick to, unsurprisingly, the New England Patriots. That Belichick save and tie. If there's ever a question, if there is a tie where a guy might go late in the first round, especially on the defensive side of the ball, these draft analysts, they're going to go with the, the Alabama guy, right? Well, I mean, you saw Anthony Jennings most recently go to the New England Patriots. And with Dante Hightower opting out for the upcoming season and a couple other defensive players, Anthony might be in the deep end of the pool as a rookie coming up. But Patrick Sertan, number two overall, according to Todd McShay. And look, crazy as this sounds, I think if there, for whatever reason, ends up not being an SEC football season, it could help Patrick Sertan. Because if that's the case, you're going to have less data, which means – 
clubs are going to be even more reliant on projectability, which means measurables, testing. And I think from that aspect, Patrick Sertan is going to kill it. And then you're also going to consider the football DNA. Where does he come from in terms of a program who coaches him? Well, he's going to check that box. I mean, look at the all-pro defensive backs Alabama has churned out here in the last four or five years. Eddie Jackson, Marlon Humphrey, Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah, it's going to be safe picks if there ends up being no football at the college level where the NFL draft is concerned. And not only with Alabama in Sertan's football DNA, but his father was a solid NFL player. So, sounds crazy, but it could happen. Interesting that um, if it played out that way, Sertan would be the highest pick in the Saban era. Had a couple of three guys go third overall, but not a number one or a number two yet. Harry Gilmer went number one overall to Washington from Alabama back in 1947. Cornelius Bennett went number two to Indianapolis in 1987. So that would put Sertan up there in some rarefied air, I'd say. That's going to do it for a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports. Thanks again to Chris Hummer of 247sports.com for joining us. Thanks to Joe Gaither for producing the program. Today's lunch whistle, that's brought to you by Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Great, great pizza. They've got the weekend dine-in hours available to you. Check them out. Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Weekly, night, weeknightly specials. So you'll want to check that out. Great bar specials as well. It's Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Until 11 a.m. on Friday. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody.